Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Another busy midweek schedule as the campaign barrels on into the final few weeks. On today's show, we'll be hopping between the big time of the Champions League and the slightly more straightforward Premier League action. In part one, we take in the big one at the Etihad tonight. Manchester City welcome 13 times, yes, 13 times European champions Real Madrid to Manchester. City fans will be not so delighted to hear that thanks to some injury and suspension situations, Pep Guardiola has some big selection calls to make. And it's a big Champions League game. We all know what that means when Pep has a decision to make. So we're going to be digging into that in just a second. In part two, we flick ourselves back to the day job of the Premier League. Leeds United's nil-nil draw at Crystal Palace last night means they are still right in the mix to be relegated. And then to complete the pod... We have the latest on the new man at Old Trafford. Eric Ten Hag is reportedly very keen to get the ball rolling and he wants to set up Zoom meetings with every member of the United first team squad as he looks to get a handle on things at United. So plenty to come on today's show. My name's Fergal Brennan and joining me, we have the only person more powerful than Elon Musk on Twitter. For now, at least, it is Mr. Social Media himself. Marley Anderson. Marley, are you worried that Musk is after you? I'd just love to have 1% of his wealth in the bank and also be 1% as absolutely mental as he is, to be fair. <laughs> He's an absolute <laughs> character, that fella. Christ, I can never can never understand, you know, when you hear like made-up news, like you don't know, like nothing's made up when it comes to Elon Musk. <laughs> it's just like he's an absolute crazy bloke, but yeah, crazy rich as well. So yeah, I'd love to, uh, love to have a little portion of his wealth one day. Yeah, and he looks like he is going to be uh, taking over Twitter. That's a bit of breaking, bit of non-football breaking news, but uh, a big, big piece of news in the world of social media. Alongside Marley, we've got Joel Tudor. Now, Eric Ten Hag is lining up these Zooms. Joel, you've had your share of Zooms in the last 12 months. Any tips for Harry Maguire? Make sure you know, you're dressed from the waist up, webcam on, that kind of thing. Yeah, just make sure he can find his webcam because he can't seem to find much on the pitch at the moment. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had my Zoom call with him. I know what's going on in the back room, so my sources will tell all in the future. 
very good. The inside track on uh, Ten Hag's United. We're going to get to uh, Ten Hag and his Zoom calls uh, in a few minutes uh, when we get on to part three of the show. But, Miley, we're going to start with Man City against Real Madrid tonight. This is a real humdinger. We're you know, getting to the business end of the season. Champions League semi-finals, Premier League title running. And it's crunch time again for Manchester City. Losing to Chelsea in last season's final. First time they've reached the Champions League final. And despite the fact that they've got it tough or at least demanding in the Premier League, Liverpool are pushing them all the way. Pep has said a number of times that they know if they drop any points, Liverpool are going to pounce in the title race. In a strange way, does that actually benefit them? We're going to talk about the injury situation in, in just a second, but the momentum that they've got, they're just winning game, game after game after game after game. They got through Atletico. That was a big test of every aspect of Guardiola and his squad. Real Madrid are fantastic. They're on the verge of wrapping up the La Liga title themselves. They've got this record as the team in the Champions League. But City are ready. They are, yeah. Um, I think... Like sort of thinking about the the sort of approach to the game, it's kind of it's probably the first time in in three or four weeks that Man City head into a game not absolutely needing to win it um, because they've got the second leg to come. So it might just um, it might just bring the best out of Man City. To be fair, well, obviously we'll have to wait and see tonight. But um, the whole situation of like at the weekend, you know, you're playing before. Before Liverpool playing, you've got to beat Watford. Like I know there's not much pressure on beating Watford because they're absolutely terrible and Man City are, are absolutely flying. But the week before, you know, uh, when it with when it was Brighton and Liverpool had already played, that was like there was pressure on that. It was getting a little bit nervy. They got the goal with with Mares and it broke the broke the seal type of thing and and broke, sort of took the shackles off. And I think with with Real Madrid tonight, you know, it's it's one of those where you. Um, you can you can be like you know what we don't need to win this game so let's just relax a little bit and let's just you know play our normal game as they have been doing even when they are under pressure um, and see what happens. The situation that Man City find themselves in, Joel, is obviously a positive one. They're leading the way in the Premier League. They are still strongly fancied. Just looking at the odds here, they are still favourites to win the Champions League despite playing Madrid tonight and then going to Madrid next week. This is an interesting point that Carlo Ancelotti made and Mali has just made. The game doesn't, or the tie doesn't necessarily have to be won tonight. Ancelotti pretty much said they're going to have to be patient across the first and the second leg. And that was a lesson that Man City learned against Atletico. You don't have to win every minute of the 180 that you play. Atletico Madrid were only really interested in playing 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of the second leg. And that's the way to do it in the Champions League. Pep will want to go out and he'll want to win this game. But when it is a two-leg game and there is no away goals to factor in, it becomes a very different situation as to previous seasons. Well, judging from the way in which Real Madrid played against Chelsea in that second leg at the Bernabeu, then the first leg definitely doesn't need to be won because that second leg, they got massively lucky. Um, they were a different team compared to that first one where they played ridiculously well. And then in the second leg, it just seemed as though the whole defence capitulated. And when you compare, obviously, Chelsea and City now, City are absolutely levels above Chelsea in terms of quality. So for Madrid, I would worry on both legs. I feel like Madrid are the team who need to get the victory here Um tonight just purely because I still feel, I still feel as though the defense has massive frailties it's not the same defense that we're used to they used to have you know uh, Varane and Ramos and Carvajal and a prime Marcelo now 
I don't really trust David Alaba too much at centre-back. Um, sometimes they play Militao, I'm not massively won over from him. Obviously, now they've got Rudiger, so it kind of shows their thinking in the defensive department. Um, but I, I would favour City tonight, just purely on the basis that the fact that Madrid have also got their league pretty much wrapped up now. Maybe it'll fall in their favour because between now and next week during the home leg in Madrid, They'll be able to rest, you know, the likes of Modric or Cruz or basically all of the main players, Benzema, if they really need to. Whereas City is still going to have to go full throttle in the league in the next week to make sure that they keep pace out of Liverpool's favour. So it's going to be a, I think it'll be a very closely contested game again tonight, similar to the way in which the Atletico Madrid game was a few weeks ago at City. But it's going to be a very different tie. Obviously, Atletico were a team who just completely low blocked and tried to counter, whereas Madrid have got enough quality as well to do exactly what City do. So it's going to be an interesting tie. Um, but I just I've, I just believe that City have got way too much quality. But then again, in Champions League, knockout ties, Guardiola is known to be... like I just remember that one against Lyon where they went out to them. Um, and just ties like that where they should have had them wrapped up it just seems as though he approaches them in a different way with a different mindset. So it will be an interesting tie, but I do firmly think that City will take the the upper hand tonight. Um, Marley, Joel is right in terms of sometimes perceptions of Pep Guardiola in these big Champions League games is the overthink, quotes overthink. And he has been a good boy this season and well-behaved in terms of his lineups and picking players and putting them in positions where they should be. But... Man City fans have been stung by this before, ahead of a big, big game, just when they think that Guardiola is going to stick to the script, he tears it up and he throws it out of the window. And he did kind of hint in his press conference yesterday, he said, we need to find creative solutions to our injury problems, particularly in defence, and players must be prepared to play in positions where they're not completely used to. Now, if, if you're looking for a hint, that's it, that he's going to do something wacky and wild. He was asked, a bit tongue-in-cheek, about Gabriel Jesus and would he play it right back, and he said no. But Jao Cancelo is banned, he's not going to play, so Alexander Zinchenko is going to start. And there's big injury doubts over Kyle Walker and John Stones. The likelihood is that John Stones probably will make it, but Kyle Walker, according to sources this morning, probably is going to miss out. So City are weakened, but the fans will be praying that Guardiola doesn't do something daft. Yeah, um, that is that's always going to be the worry, isn't it? You know, um, and it's it it's probably a little bit. I was going to say a little bit harsh, but it's also it's it's understandable why why City fans are, are a little bit um, sort of fearful of, of what might happen. Yeah, and also it's like. It's not a, it's not an unreal fear like he's you know I think two years ago it was Leon, um last year it was the the double pivot in the final with Fernandinho and Rodri playing and no one understood that because it was the first time this season, um or that season sorry that uh, that they'd started together, um, it's usually one or the other obviously but, um, with, with the sort of problems they've got I think it's all just like. It's all. It's almost like uh, you know the the scars of the past, like like threatening to open up. But this would be the first time he's enforced into a a, a change sort of thing because 
you know, in the in the final last year, nobody he didn't need to play two defensive midfielders, but chose to. And the week uh, the year before, I think he chose three at the back in in France against Lyon, or can't remember which leg it was actually. Well, one of them he started three at the back, and it was something which no one had ever seen before. So tonight's different because he has actually he has actually got a problem. Um, so I can I can maybe see. Like Zinchenko at the back, you've got Diaz and, and Laporte in the middle because Stones is injured, but Diaz came back a little bit the weekend. I can maybe either see Nathan Ake playing at right back if he's fit, but I, I think he's got an injury as well. So I can maybe see Fernandinho uh, filling in at right back, which I think he's done a couple of times before over his career, but it's uh, it's a tall ask because Vinicius Jr. is arguably you know, Real Madrid's most dangerous player in terms of who's going to run at you and who's going to cause problems and, and get them up the pitch. So... It's a big problem, to be fair, um, that he's got a he's got a fix, um, but that's that's why he gets paid the big bucks. And as I said before, you know you've got the second leg as well. You probably assume, you know, Walker's back and Cancelo's back from suspension in the second leg. Um, so maybe if he can just, you know, keep it tight in the first leg and not concede an away goal, and not be too gung ho attacking, you know, City will back themselves to beat any team you know, all in the world, anywhere really. So Real Madrid at the Bernabeu in Champions League semi-final, they won't be as fearful as that might sound. Um, before we take a break, Joel called this for us. Manchester City at home to Real Madrid, not being disingenuous to Real Madrid, but you, you do know what you're going to get. Their lineup pretty much picks itself. They're strolling to the La Liga title. That will probably be confirmed this weekend. So they will be nailed on champions before the second leg. Huge amount of experience, huge amount of big game experience. We saw that against PSG and Chelsea to fight back. How's this going to go down tonight? I do think that City will take the upper hand tonight. I'm calling it a 2-1 victory for City just because I'm just going off the basis of that Chelsea game. I know they've been in very good form in uh, La Liga recently and they're going to have the league wrapped up. Um, also, they managed to rest a couple of players like Luka Modric, who's just absolutely pivotal in that midfield. Uh, but I just think, I think City are just levels above them this season, um, especially at home as well. City are very rarely beaten at home. Um, and I think they'll definitely take an advantage to Madrid. But then Madrid is Madrid. They've won it 13 times for a reason. Um, and I definitely wouldn't count them out of the tie. I'm not saying that they're going to be absolutely battered, but I definitely think in the first leg, City should have the upper hand, I would say. Marley, go on, give it to us. How's it going to go down? Uh, I think I think City will dominate the game. Um, I think they'll win, to be fair. Um, but there's there's always a chance. I was just looking at the, the, the betting odds. and in, I mean, Real Madrid are 5-1 to one to beat Man City, who've got, what, like probably the second choice defence if, if everyone's fit. Um, you know, it's second choice player in, in half of the positions in the back four, maybe three if you if you would choose Stones over Laporte. So I can see um Real Madrid coming up with something but not enough. Like I, I think they'll score, but I think City'll uh will get it done, maybe two or three one and uh give themselves a decent little uh advantage going into the second leg where they're they're probably gonna be stronger again. Yeah, I'm, do you know what? I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to go 2-1 to City in this one, but I do think it it all comes down to that second leg in Madrid because Real Madrid are arguably the only team in Europe that even when they're behind, if they've got the second leg at home, they just won't panic because they've been there, done it, Modric, Benzema, etc. These guys have got so much experience. But yeah, I think City will nick it tonight. Uh, so we'll go 3-3 three for three for Man City to win the first leg. Right, we're going to call it a day. We're not going to call it a day. We're going to give ourselves a little break. We're not calling it a day. It's way too early uh, on the football show 
social daily. After the break, it is the Premier League. Crystal Palace nil, Leeds United nil last night. Big game down the bottom for Jesse March. Leeds are still in the shake-up to get relegated. Crystal Palace edging towards safety, but we're going to be discussing what this means for the relegation picture and our Leeds in big, big trouble. All that to come in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We're switching from Champions League action to the day job of the Premier League. Marley, uh, Crystal Palace last night leads... Travelling down to London on the back of a big, long break. This is a bit of a strange one because there's been a few glitches in the Premier League calendar in recent weeks and somehow Leeds have managed to get themselves a 16-day break. But they didn't use it very well because they travelled down to Selhurst Park, barely left a mark on Patrick Vieira's side, got themselves two shots on target but never really troubled Crystal Palace. A point on the board in the battle to get themselves away from relegation danger. But... We're going to talk about their run-in in just a second. They're still right in the mix. Jesse March has brought some positivity back to Elland Road. Marcelo Bielsa leaving. He's come in. There is a bit of a freshness and a bit of zip about them. But they still can't get the results together to get themselves away from the drop zone. And on the balance of it, they were probably lucky to get a point in uh, in London last night. Yeah, they, they probably were. I, th- I thought Crystal Palace were, were the better side fairly comfortably but I think both teams have the same problem but just to a different extent I think Palace Palace's weakest area is scoring goals I, you know as as well as Mateta's done at times this season I don't think he's the uh, the 12 to 15 goal striker you need to, to push you up the table like they're playing better football no one can deny that as to what they did last season under Hodgson and the, and the two or three seasons before as well but you know they've they've got the flair they just need the, that killer instinct that finishing ability um, to propel them up the league because they were toothless last night and you know uh, as much as they sort of had control of the game and it was theirs to win like I, I didn't really have much confidence that they were gonna they were gonna do it unless you know somebody won a penalty or something like that and it was a, a pretty much a, a, a clear-cut easy chance to score but having said that Leeds weren't weren't much good either I thought they, they sort of were happy with the point. Um, it was another another game where they had to start Daniel James as a striker and you know put a, a sort of square peg in a round hole. But that's where Leeds' seasons fell apart. You know they, they haven't had a striker for you know probably thirty of those thirty four or thirty five games, whatever they've played now. So it's uh, it's really affecting them because without that killer instinct for for both sides, but especially for Leeds, you know you can barely move forward and. You know, I think Leeds had two shots on target last night and none of them even made the highlights package that you can see on YouTube. That's how that's how poor and just uneffective they were. So it's um it's a problem really because I'm I'm not convinced Leeds have massively improved since Jesse Marsh has come in. I think they've got a good couple of results to put five points between them, but you know, if if you look at how Leeds are playing and how Burnley are playing at the minute, you know, you that gap could easily fall away and not neither team has got um, uh, neither team around Burnley. Sorry, like Everton or or Leeds have got an easy run in. Um, so I I'm not sure it's entirely cut and dried this whole relegation race. I think Leeds need another win from somewhere, 
Um, but yeah, they, they 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 just need to score goals from somewhere. Joel, as Marley said, Leeds under March have been good, but maybe not great. 11 points from seven games since he took charge. But of those three wins they picked up, one was against Norwich and one was against Watford, who you would expect or assume are probably already relegated. So it's difficult to, to gauge exactly the progress that they've made. And and this gap, we're kind of joking that they've had a, a mid-season holiday, but so much of what Jesse March is about is coaching the players, contact time with the players, getting his ideas across. You've just had 15 days of solid training. You've got Calvin Phillips back in the team, who's really, really important. Liam Cooper's back fully fit now. And this is what you produce. This is going to frustrate Leeds fans because this was a bit of luck where they got this break when they didn't have a game. They were supposed to come back into this period refreshed, ready to fight on, not necessarily to drive all the way up into towards the European places, but get enough on the board to make sure they don't have to sweat in the final two weeks or so. And now that is exactly what they're going to have to do. I guess, but I mean, Crystal Palace isn't the easiest team to play this season. There's been a lot of top four teams who've gone and played them. and Manchester City's one of them who've taken points off them. Um, Liverpool struggled with them. Chelsea have struggled with them where they got a last minute goal. They're a difficult side to play, especially at their ground as well. Um, but I just think with Leeds, they've been undefeated in the, um, in the last five games. So it's not like they're in poor form. It's just the fact that the teams below them, especially Burnley, now are starting to gain ground on them. But I do worry for Leeds, but I don't worry for them. But I do worry for the fans that um, the next fixtures are Manchester City, Arsenal and Chelsea. I mean, if they don't get anything from any of those games and all of those teams have pretty much something to play for, especially City and Arsenal, they could find themselves completely swapping places with Burnley, um, especially because Everton have still got a few tough games to come as well. So it could end up being a straight battle between Leeds and Everton. Um, it just seems as though Burnley have got so much momentum now under Michael Jackson and it feels as though the tides are turning a little bit and with the way in which Everton are going, you would say that they're the team most likely to pay the price just because they, their form is awful. Whereas at least with Leeds... They're not being beaten. They've gone five undefeated, which is decent for a team who are on the brink of being pulled into that relegation fight. But it's going to be, it's going like I say, the next three games will tell the story of how it's going to go because then after that, they have Brighton, which again, are not the easiest team to play. And then Brentford away, which as we've seen just recently, Tottenham couldn't uh, breach them. They're looking in really good form at the moment. So Everton and, Bright Everton and Brentford, sorry, I feel as though it might end up being, a, sorry, Everton and Leeds, I feel like it's going to be a straight battle between them just because I feel as though Burnley's momentum now has just completely changed and you have to you have to applaud the owners with Burnley because everyone was really slating them when it, when it happened with Dyche, but they've nearly doubled their wins in the whole season, which is pretty miraculous. Marley, would you agree with that, that the relegation picture could and probably will change in the next few weeks? Leeds now find themselves in a position. It's difficult to predict any result in, in a Premier League season, but Manchester City at home this weekend, Arsenal away, and then Chelsea at home. These are three teams that are possibly, probably going to be finishing in the top four this season. Leeds might now find themselves in a position where they just have to wait they just have to wait until those final two games, Brighton at home and Brentford away on the last game because Burnley and Everton are going to make moves in the next couple of weeks and it's very, very feasible to say that Leeds won't get anything from City, Arsenal and Chelsea and they might just have to take what they can get in the final couple of weeks. 
Yeah, it, it could well could well come down to then because, you know, like the sort of question here is like, can can you see it changing and things like that? Like, I can see it changing, but also in the next three weeks, I can't really. Well, at, at least the next two weeks, I can't see that bottom of the the league changing much because I expect everyone to lose those games because, as you mentioned there, you know, um, Leeds have got a tough run with Chelsea, Arsenal and Man City. Um, and then Everton, on the other hand, have also got Chelsea, uh, Leicester and then and then Watford. So Everton's running slightly easier, but the way they're playing, I don't expect them to win any of those games. Um, so it's, it kind of can all change, but can also stay the exact same because if everybody loses, it just gets a bit more twitchier because... You know, if everyone loses the next two, you know, uh, Everton have got four games left and then uh, Leeds have got the got three left, I think. And, you know, the, 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 they'll be right on each other's backside sort of thing because there's two points, be, uh, sorry, five points between them. And if Everton win one of those games, let's say Everton beat Watford, um, that is two points between them. And then it all comes down to who can win next. And because they've got such a tough run, the pair of them, it's really hard to see how this one's going to end out because I can see something, uh, something big going down to the last day because that that relegation race is so tight um, that you know one win can swing it massively. And Burnley have got Watford at the weekend. Then they've got Villa, who are on an absolute stinking run. They've actually got Villa twice in the running, Burnley. Um, so you know Watford and two times two games against Villa you know if if they win both of those games especially the home one against Villa um you know six points if you give them six points now in that table it takes them you know way out of trouble really it takes them you know all the way up to 37 points and level with Aston Villa for example so you know it's it is almost looking like Leeds against Everton and between the two Leeds are are still playing better and you'd still back them slightly because of Everton's run but yeah, I think this is, it's all sort of manoeuvring itself to become like one of the the really, really exciting last days where the, the race for fourth goes down to it and uh, the race for the the uh, the relegation or, or the race to avoid relegation, I should say, uh, goes down to it as well. Uh, before we take a break, we're going to get a quick prediction off you. Probably every single podcast between now and the end of the season, we're going to be talking about predictions. But Marley, Joel, Leeds are in this fight. Looking at the table now, you'd imagine that Aston Villa are probably okay. 37 points from 32 games. So they've got a game in hand on Leeds, on Burnley and on Crystal Palace. So, Joel, as it stands, looking at the games to go, Everton do have a game in hand as well. Don't forget, who's your pick to go down? Well, going off the current form at the moment, you ha- objectively, you have to say Everton are in the worst position, aren't they? Especially since they have Chelsea and uh, Leicester and then they have Arsenal on the final day and Arsenal will have something to fight for, for sure. So right now, you'd have to say Everton are the least equipped and in terms of how they're playing. But I mean, judging from that game against Liverpool, they didn't, they didn't produce a bad performance so they can take some good things from that. But right now, I'd, I'd have to say Everton. And Marley, what about yourself? Form-wise, it's not looking good for Everton, but Leeds have got some really hard games coming. Yeah, I would. I'd. I. I don't know to be honest, but like like Joel said, you you can't see Everton going and winning a game um, unless they play United. Ha- <laughs> yeah, and they've uh, they've they've blew those two chances, <laughs> haven't they? So it's. Um, I think the next three for Leeds. You know, they've both got hard running, but the. The timing of the running, like 
Leeds have got, as as we said before, you know, City City at home, Chelsea at home, and Arsenal away. So if you take if you say that's three defeats, for example, you know, Everton in that meantime maybe might have picked up a win because they play Watford in that third game. Um, in the sort of I think it's the eleventh of May, um, they play that game. So if you say and they've got Leicester before that, and Leicester are easier than Chelsea or City, like Leeds play. So it it, it we're to the point where no one can put a run together. No one's gonna put, no one's gonna win four of the next five or three of the next four. But it it can all hinge on one win, and I think Everton might just get that first win before Leeds do, and then it becomes really really touchy. And if Everton can follow up the Watford game with the home game against Brentford, I think the timing of the running could favour Everton. Um, and we might get some very, very nervous times on Leeds, especially if Bamford, um, Bamford isn't back and they're still putting square pegs in round holes with the striking situation. So I, I this one's, I think it's tighter than people think um, because Everton have shown a slight, slight improvement. Not much, but um, a slight improvement in, in the last couple of weeks and it could go down to the wire and I can see them just about surviving and also what I just realised then Frank Lampard got bare stick from when he was Derby manager for celebrating against Leeds do you remember when uh, Leeds had the um, I think they got didn't they get someone done for for training on Derby's um, the Spygate spy. thing yeah, yeah. For on spying on yeah spying on, on yeah them. and Lampard gave it the whole when they beat them in the league he gave gave it the whole binoculars thing how how what a turnabout turnaround it would be if if Leeds were the ones to relegate Lampard's Everton on the last in the last uh, like furlong of this uh, of this race so there's a lot of narratives basically and I'm trying to sit on the fence as much as I can because I have no bloody idea what's going to go on um, and I'm not really comfortable backing anyone to go down um, <laughs> because I think three or four teams have been too too good, sorry, too bad not to not to get relegated at various points this season. But if if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd probably pick I'd probably pick Everton to go. But I, I can still see them surviving, so I'm totally contradicting myself even saying it. Switzerland, hundred <laughs> percent. Geneva is my favourite place. <laughs> I uh, oh, I I still can't pick this. I've been saying all along that I think Burnley are gonna dig themselves out of it, and even with with Mike, I can't call him Michael. No, Jackson. you have to call Mike him Michael. Jackson. We we've established on this podcast he is <laughs> Michael Jackson. That's it. Okay, okay, Michael. Ja- I mean, Michael Jackson in charge of Michael Jackson's Burnley. I still think are going to be okay, and I don't really know why, but I do think Everton are going to be okay. All the logic and all the reason points to that they're not, and form wise, they probably do deserve to go down. But I just, I just don't see Everton playing in the Championship, and I think Leeds, <clears throat> as it stands, are, are are slipping, and and momentum can work in both directions. You can have positive momentum, and you can have negative momentum. There's one thing that I would flag up. I was chatting to someone about this a few days ago. The structure of the games going into the final few weeks of the season is weighted against the teams down the bottom because until the final weekend of the season, the table won't be level. There'll still be games in hand and teams playing catch-up because on Thursday the 19th of May, which is three days before the final game of the season, the final weekend of the season, Everton and Burnley both play. So Everton and Burnley have to play two games in four days to keep themselves in the Premier League. Everton have got Palace at home and Burnley go to Aston Villa. So if you're looking for little edges and little advantages, the um, 
the fixture calendar calendar even is uh, is not helping either Michael Jackson or Frank Lampard. So that that's just something to think about in the in the final few weeks of the campaign. Right, we're going to take a break uh, from Michael Jackson, Burnley relegation, and all that type of stuff. After the break, we're talking about something completely different. We're talking about Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United in a slightly strange move, according to reports from the Daily Mirror. Ten Hag wants to zoom. Yes, Zoom, his new players. He's not taken over at Old Trafford until June, but he wants to check in with Maguire, with Ronaldo, see what the score is, touch base, all these management terms that are, they're going to have to be dealing with. Uh, but it is also nice that Premier League footballers have to put up with the same things that we all do, which is the dreaded Zoom meeting with the boss. So we're going to be talking about all that in just a sec. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We've discussed Champions League and Premier League already. Manchester City going for glory in the Champions League against Real Madrid and a bit of a damp squib in South London last night. Crystal Palace nil, Leeds United nil. So to wrap up, we're going to be doing something a bit more fun or if you're into this type of thing, not fun. Zoom meetings. Joel, we've all had to put up with Zoom meetings over the last 12 or 18 months. Some of us, it fills us with dread. Some of us, we can get stuff off our chest to the boss. We can we can shout at him without fear of maybe getting the sack. And Eric Ten Hag is going for the Zoom route. According to the Mirror, he wants to have a Zoom meeting with every current member of the Manchester United first team squad. Now, this can go well. This can go badly. You can have bad Wi-Fi your webcam can break you can pretend that the line is breaking up so you don't have to answer some awkward questions this is a bit of an unusual stance that Ten Hag is making we know that he wants to get started early we know that there is a lot of problems at Manchester United if this story is more than just nonsense would you like to be a fly on the wall in some of those meetings yeah because from what I've seen of Ten Hag, it seems as though he's a guy who really doesn't give a crap what he says. And I wouldn't be surprised if on the spot he'd be saying to one of them, right, it's time to pack your bags because you're not going to be here next year. Um, I don't believe that this story has much truth into it, to be honest. Like we, we were just mentioning prior to the podcast starting, it feels as though many people are trying to make a name for themselves based on making up a story first and then well you can't really disprove it can you it's not like Ten Hag's going to come out and say actually no I didn't ring them or he just doesn't want to talk you're not gonna about get, it you're not going to get the meeting password so he's not going to say that to you <laughs> password's just like Maguire123 or something um, it's, it's just yeah he's, he's fully concentrated on Ajax I'm sure he'll be messaging and texting a few of them but his priority is going out with a bang with Ajax and getting another trophy and that's all he'll be focused on just feels as though many reporters and fake reporters are trying to give these exclusives which have no basis on them whatsoever but I mean considering the fact that there's been so many leaks from that United squad I again wouldn't be surprised if it is the case because it seems as though every single thing coming out at the moment is just it's just like a leaky tap isn't it everything that seems to be going on behind the scenes even we saw Paul Scholes when he said I'm sure Jesse Lingard won't mind me saying this but the dressing room is absolutely dire I think he would mind him saying that actually <laughs> I think that's one of the worst things you could have said and I'm surprised Lingard hasn't come out and said yeah or he probably messaged Scholes and say well, you know what I'm not giving you any more information because uh, he's singing 
singing like a bird to everyone, but it's a, it's a it's a it's a really bad situation. And judging from the fact that Ragnik has hinted at the fact that he knows who the people are or the clique, as it's been come out to say, who've been spreading these different stories, I wouldn't be surprised if the people who get moved on are those people. Um, so I'm sure. Yeah, the, the the conversation I would love to be a fly on the wall for is the one between Eric Ten Hag and Ragnik. Because I bet Rangnick is holding... Well, judging from his press conferences, he doesn't hold any blows whatsoever. So imagine the conversation with Ten Hag after a, a nice little red wine. I'm sure it's going to be ridiculous. But um, yeah, there'll be a lot of change going on. And I'd love to see the conversation between them two. One of the big stories emerging within this, Mali, from the, the Zoom calls, whether they do or whether they don't happen, is surrounding Harry Maguire. And apparently the subject of the captaincy will be on the table. Maguire's had his issues this season on the pitch. He's, he's struggled for form. He's not looked like the player that we have seen previously off the pitch. Also, we know there's been these horrendous situations where there have been threats made against him. And, and obviously that type of behaviour is deplorable completely. But inevitably that is going to affect your focus you're only human if these types of things are going on it is going to impact your your mental state going into a game is this something that will be on Ten Hag's list it might not be top of the list or top of his priorities but will it be something he's thinking about that potentially Harry Maguire has shown the captaincy skills previously but maybe he's not the right person for Ten Hag's United uh, you know potentially um well, the one thing you would look at with Maguire is is he the type of centre back that um that Ten Hag would want as he as he used a centre back like Maguire before? I'm I'm not really sure because you know, Maguire struggled a lot of times this season with um well, with everything to be fair, with his the state of his form right now. But yeah, he's um look there's always there's gonna be decisions and stuff made by Ten Hag and you know, my my thing with this whole interim thing was my, my my biggest issue with it was, you know, he's got to come in in the summer and then decide what he's going to do. Like, is he going to fully trust what Rangnick tells him? Because even though Rangnick's very respected and, and all the rest of it, you know, he's got a different personality and a different outlook on things to Ten Hag. You can't be, you can't be twins in this thing. You can't think the exact same and you can't fully trust someone's, uh, intuition, even though they're more experienced than you and stuff like that, it's hard for a manager to to just go. Well, you know, Ralph says he's rubbish, so I'm gonna get rid of him. It's, it seems very cold that. So, I wouldn't be surprised if something similar to these Zoom Zoom things are going on, whether it's a phone call or uh, a WhatsApp group or a direct WhatsApp message or whatever it may be, firing up the old Bebo account or something like that. Um, it could be it could be anything, but I I don't doubt that there'll be some sort of introduction to the players just so it's not all like from you know 100 zero to 100 real quick in the summer when he arrives um because you know there's there's a lot of work to do in the summer you know there's man united have got to got to spend a lot and got to got to ship out a lot of dead wood which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer started to do when he was there and did a good job of it in my opinion um but there's there's more to be done and uh Ten Hag needs as soon as he gets a grip on the squad you know, the sooner Man United can start moving forward because, you know, at the minute they're stagnating and going backwards. So Ten Hag needs to just uh, get his introductions done, get the pleasantries out of the way, find out who wants to be there next season. Uh, I'd quite like to see the Zoom meeting between him and Jesse Lingard, as Lingard probably comes on the comes on the thing and he's already wearing a West Ham kit. 
or something like that because you know it, it, there's, there's no way he's staying but but also I wonder if he would ever get tempted into something if he was promised something by by Ten Hag but if if that did happen he needs to learn from his previous mistakes and Jesse Lingard's probably been been promised you know two or three hundred appearances more than he's than he's actually uh, managed to get for Man United over the years and he's 28, 29 years old now so forget anything that may get promised to you in the near future and, and get yourself away and play but it's um, it's an interesting situation because Man United have put themselves in this whole, whole own situation with the interim thing and then announcing Ten Hag during the uh, during the season with you know five or six games left to go whenever it was um, and now they've got to the battle the way out of it because it needs to the, the ground needs to be hit running very very quickly in the summer yeah big big job incoming incoming for Eric Ten Hag when he finally takes over uh, in June if the Zoom calls do happen bit of advice Harry Maguire make sure your Wi-Fi is working Ronaldo get your web webcam cleaned all those type of things you know good Zoom etiquette that we uh, that we all have to adhere to right we're going to call it a day for today's edition of the Football Social Daily as always Marley Joel thank you very much cheers guys thank you guys Great stuff indeed. As always here on the Football Social Daily, if you hit subscribe, you can get access to a brand new episode every single day. The guys will be back tomorrow. Niall, Matt and Ian reviewing Real Madrid against Manchester City tonight and how that plays out. And then building up tomorrow to the other Champions League semi-final, Liverpool against Real. Yes, there's a huge amount going on. So don't forget to hit subscribe so you can keep right up to date. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.